You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Come on, I think there's more though. Where are my Jesus people at? There you go. All right. Well, well, here we are. Happy New Year to you. Is anybody in the room here ready to kick 2020 and 2021 to the curb and say 2022, listen, 2022 is going to be what I and God make of it? Yes? Double blessing. I like that. That's good. So I can think of nothing better than to start it off with a couple of testimonies. So first we have Bridget. Where is Bridget? Where is she hiding out? Oh, there. Come on up here. Come on. Bless her. Really good. I love testimonies. We've started off with a few of them this morning. I think testimonies are fantastic, and we already said it, but I'm going to say it again. What in Hebrew, what does the root of testimony mean? Do it again. So when somebody testifies in the room, it's like they're throwing a football out there, and you have the opportunity to intercept it. And if you want it, just to take it and say it's mine. I'll take it. Here you go, Bridget. So I don't, I don't talk a lot to people, but I, um, at the beginning of December, my mother got COVID. And uh, they're not vaccinated, which I understand. Um, my stepfather got COVID. Hers was not as bad because she has ailments. He was in perfect health, but... He's been an agnostic his entire life um, since I've known him, which I was five when I met him. So he got blood clots in both legs. They called the family in three separate times to say final goodbyes. He had strokes in both hemispheres of his brain. Um, he had two heart attacks. This is all under COVID. But he had blood clots in both the legs. We started praying. One leg completely healed. Come on, come on, come on. The other leg had turned black. They were talking about taking his leg off from mid-thigh. Then they talked about taking his leg off because we were praying, (laughs) declaring mid-shin. What they ended up doing, because the one foot was still black, but it was starting to pink up, but the surgeon actually put it off three or four days, believe it or not. Um, And they ended up taking it off just above the ankle. Um, he is coming home on the 12th. He's coming home on the 12th. I'm flying, excuse me, on the 13th. I'm flying up on the 12th to help my mom. They live 19 stairs up in the building that they own. So there's going to be a nurse and there's going to be physical therapy. But the best thing is, I just repeated, I'm going to repeat. He has been, has been an agnostic his entire life. He said the sinner's prayer with my mom. Come on. Yeah. Woo! And every prayer that we sent by text, she would go in. He was in a coma. She would go in and read them to him, declaring healing over him, both my sisters and I. And my little brother, um, which is my half-brother, um, you know, was texting stuff good vibes. I don't want good vibes. I want prayer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, keep, keep your good vibes. Yeah. Pray, yeah, yeah, yeah. declare. 
Um, but you know, he he put on he put on Facebook that his father was dying, and I'm just like, Michael, we're not accepting that. That's not God's report. Jim's coming home. He's coming home. So yes, come on, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. That's right. Come on. Number one. God heals even in, like, the worst, right, situation. Flying that in the face of COVID, all right? Take that. Number two, you know mercy and grace, right? The hounds of heaven, they follow you all the days of your life. They track you down, and they get you, and they got him. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. We have one more. Come on up. Come on, let's bless her really good. This is Caroline. What did God do for you, Caroline? What did God do so much? Yesterday, a friend of mine asked me to come out to an outreach. Of course, I'm busy. I'm mom, wife, business owner, a million things. And I thought, "Mm, I don't know. We were supposed to get there at 1230, actually 12. But I have African time. So I got there, (laughs) 106. It was busy, happened to be downtown uh, Sanford. So the first person we reached out to was this gentleman. He's gone to church, and Larry with the sister, mom, everybody, but he had a broken heart. So we asked him, it seems like you're doing everything for everybody else. How would you like Jesus to do something for you? And he pauses, he's like, well, I know Jesus, but you have told us there's been a cycle of this and that. How would you like to accept Jesus? An hour and a half later, seriously, we were going ring around the rosy. <laughs> but God kept us going because I feel like we sow seeds, somebody waters, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there will be a harvest in Jesus' name. Yeah. So... We had other people, but the best happened. We were supposed to be there at 1.30 leaving, but, you know, God made it. It's five-something. We're still hanging around, and I'm thinking, there's a million things I'm supposed to be doing. Well, there was this lady, she says, do you want uh, this spot? I'm like, no, I got a spot. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, how can we pray for you? And long story short... She accepted Jesus. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. Not only did she accept Jesus, she's going to come to church. Wow. She was married. She's married to a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, 20 years ago, mom and dad deposited a seed. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, come on, come on. So in our business, we put ourselves aside. Mm-hmm. We let God be God. And we keep showing the goodness and telling our testimonies. Mm-hmm. No yeah. matter how small, how big it is, That's right. God is good. That's right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Caroline. That's awesome. It's so good. I love, love, love that. Come on, does that, like, help you at all? Even remotely, does that help you at all? When you see the kingdom advancing 
in places outside the four walls of the church, that gets me going. I'm all about that, man. That's where it's supposed to happen. This is a place where we celebrate. This is a place where we, we, we tell testimonies and we celebrate. It's also a place of healing, but man, I'm telling you, the kingdom gets advanced best outside the four walls of this church. Yeah, I know I've said this story before, but I, I got to say it again. Years ago, I was driving up I-75, and you go through that place in Georgia where there's a lot of Georgia, where there's a lot of those, those billboard signs that are just Christian signs, you know? And, and there's one of them that says, go to church. And I like, the first time I saw this was like almost 10 years ago. The first time I saw that, it was like I, I heard Holy Spirit speak to me in that moment. I read the go to church and I heard Holy Spirit speak to me and say, isn't that just like the church to take the great commission for us to go to the world and put it on the world and tell them to go to church? This is our job. This is who we are. So come on. That's good stuff. Thank you guys for that. Wonderful healing. Salvation. That's beautiful. All right. We also, guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but Andy and Danielle are sitting back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, if you don't know who they are, then you need to know who they are. They're amazing people. Uh, they were really with us. They're now in Georgia, near Atlanta, south of Atlanta, but they were with us really since the beginning of this church and were pastors uh, in this and really shaped a lot of who we are as a church right there. So if you like what happens here, go thank them. You can go thank them. So thank you guys. It's so beautiful to see you again. It was kind of a last minute thing. They came into town, but I love that when they do. So somebody say, yay, God. Yeah. All right. We got you in the room here. I, I want to take today and I'm going to start opening up a can here. I'm going to open up this can on discipleship. Okay. We have been working through this for some time. It started with Really, just before COVID, I think 2021, we kicked off in our life groups this, this Destiny Finder stuff, which we'll get to that ultimately, but it is ultimately in its core about discipleship. And I have learned so much over the last couple of years, going through it myself, going through it with our team, taking our life group through it, taking individuals through it. I've learned so much about this. And I know this is what God has for us. And I, I refuse, I absolutely refuse to let anything called a virus keep us from doing what the Great Commission tells us to do. I absolutely refuse to do it. Listen, church, fear is not your friend. Fear is not your friend. Wisdom is, but fear is not your friend. I love that, what you said earlier, Andrew, about love and fear. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. I promise you this. You stay in an attitude and a posture of love. Fear will have no place to hide because perfect love casts out fear, right? It has no place to go. So this is where we're moving into the future. So I'm going to like cast a little vision for us. Things are going to be changing around here. Not immediately, but things are going to be changing a little bit around here because part of what God has given us as a church is to go after heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And what's the last one? Preach the gospel and make disciples. This is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing. So I'm going to start opening that can a little bit. One of the things that I've discovered in this process of making disciples, uh, let me back up a little bit. I know I've asked this question before, but if I were to ask you, I could ask Tom, what is making a disciple? I might get one answer from him. Be totally fine. Ask Jay. Might get another answer. Might be close, might be the same, but might get another answer. I could go around the room and do the same thing over and over and over again. But sometimes, and the reason why is because sometimes it's hard to 
really define something that is ongoing, progressive, right? How do you make a disciple? I don't know. Well, you la, 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 you do it this way. But it's really clear when somebody says, raise the dead, right? I mean, that's kind of a binary thing. Either they aren't or they are, right? Heal the sick, right? Either they are or they aren't, right? That's easy. But when it comes to making disciples, it's harder to define that. So I want to start this morning beginning to step into this a little bit. And I don't know how many weeks we're going to be on it. I know next week I'm going to talk about inheritance. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to mess with you. I'm going to talk about inheritance, godly inheritance and what that means. That's going to mess with you. So if, if you need to miss something, miss today. But not next week, okay? So I want to start unpacking that. And I want to talk about family. And I want to talk about households. Multiple times in the New Testament, you see Paul talking about family, the family of God, the household of faith. And when he says household, he's not necessarily talking about buildings like in houses. Sometimes he is. He'll say, greet this person who's of the household of this. That's actually that little family right there. But when he talks about the church, he says family. He says household. Everybody say the word family. Say household. All right, let's get this into it. I really do believe this as I'm going through this process myself and learning that discipleship means learning and leaning on family, not just about God. It's about learning inside of family, not just learning about God. Hello, are you in the room with me? We've reduced in our Western culture this sit in a, sit in a chair, look at the guy up here, somebody's going to teach, you're going to learn. The problem I have with that is there's no reciprocation. There's, there's times for it, but there's no reciprocation in it. And in discipleship, there's reciprocation. There's back and forth. There's an ongoing. There is Jesus calling his disciples in, but he's not just teaching them, he's showing them things, but he's allowing them room to talk back. He's allowing them room to ask questions. He's allowing them room to be absolute idiots. Come on, can you say I'm thankful for that? There's a reciprocation that happens. So I want to see us move away from an old version that I don't think is very effective in the church where making disciples is showing up on a Sunday and sitting in chairs. Sorry to tell you guys, that is not disciples. That is not. That is vision. That is impartation, that is celebration, that is testimony. It's all those things, but that is not discipleship. Discipleship happens inside a family. We are the family of God. It happens inside a family. You cannot get discipled on YouTube. You cannot get discipled on Spotify. Are those things good? Absolutely. Don't think for a moment that's going to disciple you, though. Because the person, individual, group, whatever, that's coming across YouTube or is coming across Spotify or iTunes, Apple iTunes, whoever that is has no idea who you are. That is being broadcast but has no back and forth with who you are. Are you guys with me this morning? We think discipleship is front-loading people's minds with information. I think we actually need to start tearing down what's in people's minds. Let's start tearing down what's in people's minds and start moving back into interaction and relationship. I know there's a couple of people that I have gone through a process with over the last year of intentionally one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And I'm telling you right now, I have grown in this. 
way more than I could have if I just spoke something into a microphone and that person heard it. You, tell, you can tell where I'm going with this, right? Wouldn't it be weird if in my family, I was the dictator that said, I'm going to talk, you guys sit down and listen, and don't say anything back, and this is how I'm going to teach you. That would be so weird, wouldn't it? Some of you are really quiet in here. That'd be really weird, wouldn't it? Why do we think we can do that in church? I just don't think it works. One of the greatest loves I have with my children is doing things with them that they find their passion growing in. That is probably one of my most favorite things ever when it comes to my kids. Why? Because I know everything about that? No, but I do know something about that. And when I can engage with them in that thing they're discovering about their passion, about their calling, about the stuff that wakes up inside of them, when I can join in with that and bring impartation into it, the joy, the absolute, just like, this is amazing. You just can't get this anywhere else. There's no way to reproduce this outside of family. There's just no way. Now, before I go any further, I know, I know there's people in here who have come from broken, messed up homes. Anybody in here come from a dysfunctional family? Every hand in the room, put it up. I know, Gabby, it's hard. Your parents are sitting right there. I know. All of us have been brought up in some kind of dysfunction because our parents are not perfect, right? I know that. There are things I think about with my kids 20 years back that I cringe when I think about them and go, God, what was I doing? Why did I do that? But you know what? I know by the grace of God, they're going to get what they need to get because my attitude is not dwelling on what I did wrong. It's looking at where they are and how we move into the future. Come on, can I just rinse some parents' minds of guilt and shame right now? There's a reason why in Hebrews, when you get to Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, right? It talks about Moses, it talks about Abraham, it talks about Gideon, it talks about Barak, it talks, all these people are listed in there. There's a reason why you don't hear anything about what they did wrong. Because God only remembers what's done in faith. He only remembers what's done in faith. Isn't that good? We have it in scripture. I can read that and go, "Uh uh-uh. Yeah, they did that, but they also did this too. They really messed things up. This is our humanity. This is how we think somehow we should grow in God is let's hold on to the things that we did really bad in our past and never forget them because somehow that's going to make me humble. What that makes you is stupid. You're sitting there holding on to something, musing on it, letting it go around in your mind over and over again, and I feel sometimes like the Father God is standing there looking at you and going, what are you doing? I don't even know what you're talking about. I will remove their sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will what? Remember them no more. I I really, I mean, God can do that, right? He can say, I will remember no more, and he can do that. That's hard for you and I, right? You know, once something gets into our mind, it's kind of hard to forget it. It's like, it's like me saying to you, I don't want anybody in this room right now to think of an orange giraffe. Now, what just happened? Everybody in the room thought of a giraffe, right? It's hard when it's in our mind to forget that and now not think about it. But in God's mind, he can say, I will remember this no more. 
It's up to us. Listen, church, this is important. If we don't get a hold of this, what it means to live the way God talks, to live like he says, not in an, in a, in a uh, obedience in the sense of performance, not that. I'm talking about an obedience in the sense of faith, where you're taking him at his word, and even though everything in life looks different and contrary to what he says, you say, I believe you by faith. I'm going to continue to walk in this right here. I do my children no good if I meditate on what I've done wrong with them. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of brain power. And for anyone that might be thinking, oh, that's just an excuse. Nope. This is faith. This is what it looks like. Come on, is this helping somebody today? Kick shame, kick guilt to the curb right now. I'm gonna declare over everybody in this room right now, your mind, right now, every place that circles in your mind that has to do with guilt and shame concerning your children, right now, kick it to the curb in the name of Jesus. Right now, Holy Spirit, you move right now. Take that stuff, put it into the toilet, flush it so it's gone. Eliminate it from the thinking. Right now, everybody put your hand on your head. Right now, say, God, get me. Yeah, because I can't pray the right words, but I can say, God, get me. Get me, clean it out. I wanna move forward in faith and make disciples in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. I know some really great parents out there, but they're still messed up. But I know people who are really great parents and they remain great parents because they don't meditate on what's happened and what's bad. That's what I wanna be. But I understand this, in this dynamic, it happens inside a family. It happens inside a family. So I wanna talk about family and household, these two things. Actually, this is titled Family and Households. We've talked about it here before in times past. I really do believe this. You see over and over again how denominational churches are taking their denominational name and they're making it very small letters and putting it over in the corner and the name of the church is what's important. Have you guys noticed that? New life, a PCA church, right? I don't know. Think of another name. New wine, right? A Baptist church. That's an oxymoron. Okay, sorry. I... <laughs> Okay, take it back. Okay, listen, you hear what I'm saying, right? The denominational thing that we've held on for years is becoming less and less important and what we're beginning to gather around is fathers and family. Why? Because the world, we haven't recognized it yet, but the world is living as orphans. Listen, church, you and I, if we're not careful, will come every week, sit in these chairs and live like an orphan. Well, what does that look like? Disconnection. Inability to be vulnerable. Avoiding people. You know that, right? You can come and sit in a room like this and live in a completely isolated life. Right? I think there's something greater. I think there's something bigger. I want to be, the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm not there yet, and I'm okay with it. But the more I'm around these little young kids... We were at the Wetsteins. Was it Friday night? And I, they make beautiful babies. They have the most amazing, beautiful babies. And to see one of them come up to me and like go like this and hold her, it's like, oh my God. I'm looking forward to being a granddad. 
not there yet, but I am looking forward to being granddad. But that feeling that comes up inside of me, when that happens, I'm learning something, and I feel Holy Spirit moving me in this direction. It's, he's saying to me, Andrew, it's because you're designed to be a father. Not that I've missed it with my kids. They're older. It'd be awkward if Wilson came up and said, Daddy, hold me. <laughs> awkward. Would I do it? Heck yeah. There is just, there is some, do it, do it, do it. Peer pressure, my gosh, what's going on in here? But when those little kids, they come up to me, little Finley, my God, that little thing is like, I don't know how, you, you pick her up, you hold her, and it's just like this, oh, oh, this sweetness. Emery came up that night, but, and you could tell the kids were beat. They'd been playing, like they'd been running like crazy. They were beat. Emery comes up, and I pick her up, and she lays her head down on my shoulder, and I'm like, you just melt me. I love this, but it's doing something more inside of me. I feel Holy Spirit waking me up to what it means to be a father inside the body of Christ, inside the church family, and things that I personally used to be afraid of or felt disqualified in, I'm finding them come back, and I'm, the strength inside of me is building. I don't even know if this is making sense or not. It's something inside of me from the father standpoint is building so strong inside of me. I look at the church not as something to be led, but something to be a father to. This is what I want. And I hope you guys are hearing me this morning. As we're moving forward into the future, I, there's a few people that actually do this. Not many, but there are a few people in this room. They'll come up and they'll call me pops. I love that. That what that tells me is I have access to your life. It's not just some kind of term of endearment. What that tells me is I have access to your life. You see me like that. You're giving me room inside of your life to be that kind of father to you. Is this making sense, church? That discipleship cannot happen like without that. You can't sit in a classroom and get it. You can't go to a ministry school and get it. Listen, I'm going to step on some toes here. We are, in a, we are in a season, in a phase right now where if the church wants to make any money, you start a school. And I can do that. I can start a school and we can make some money, but I don't think that's what God's telling us to do. I think God is calling us into this thing called family and vulnerability and openness and destiny and hope. That's what I want to see. And it only happens in, in family, family and household. Here's one right here. I don't know if I gave this to you guys back there. Ephesians 2.19 says this. This is Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, okay? He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Listen to the language. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. T look at it. I want you to read it again. I'm going to say it. I want you to look at it and read it. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. I think we need to make a declaration on that. Just say that I am no longer a stranger and a foreigner. And if you're not a stranger, that means somebody knows you, right? It's no stranger danger. It's not like that. If you're not a stranger and you're not a foreigner, that means somebody knows you and you are in 
the country, so to speak. Goes on to say, but fellow citizens, everybody say I'm a fellow citizen. With the saints, say it, and members of the household of God. We tend to read these kinds of things in scripture and kind of gloss over them and try to get to the theology parts. When this is the theology part, this is it. If you don't get this, you won't get anything else. As a matter of fact, I've joked about this before that, you know, people who walk around and say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Sorry, eh, wrong. Thanks for playing. That is not who you are. If you are a sinner saved by grace, then this book absolutely has no application to you. Because he starts at the very beginning and says, to the saints at Ephesus. If you're not a saint, then don't read that book. You hear what I'm saying, right? You can't live in your mind with thoughts that are inconsistent with the thoughts that God has. That's why these things are so important. I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer a foreigner, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, can I just take this a step further? Whenever you, whenever you meet another brother or sister that's a believer, that's not a part of your circle, right there, there's your family. There's your family. Well, Andrew, they may have a different theology than me. There's your family. And who told you you had theology correct? Mm. Doesn't happen so much anymore. I think we've established a culture around here that, you know, theology is important. Don't get me wrong. But there are certain things we really need to hold open-handed. I grew up in a church that is, you ready for this? Charismatic Calvinist, right? That is odd. Charismatic Calvinist. It's a non-denominational church, but if you had to be a denomination, that's what it would be right there. And there was a lot of teaching on eschatology. Anybody know what eschatology is? End times, right? Strong teaching on eschatology. And I knew what I knew, and I thought I knew everything when I left there at 18 years old, only to discover that the older I got, the less I knew. I can't tell you. I have a theology on eschatology, but ask me next year. It may be different. Because there's certain things I can't hold on to. I'll have people ask me, are you a premillennial? Are you postmillennial? Are you pre-trib, post-trib? What is it about that? Amillennial? I think I'm a pan-millennial. Everything's going to pan out in the end. Yeah, my wife's going, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. I can create. That was just for me and her right there, okay? I'm really getting off here. Listen to this. Household, household is the Greek word oikos. Say it. Oikos. It's just fun to say. Oikos. I have a, my wife bought me this, this book I wanted for, for Christmas. It's called um, The Dictionary of Paul's Letters. It's an amazing book. And it's a dictionary is what it is. 
but it's like an exhaustive dictionary. So you can go in and you can find words that are used in Paul's writings, and it'll take a comprehensive look at the word, the context he's used it every single time, culture, what that meant in culture. You guys know that's important, right? Certain words mean something in that culture. It had different meaning than it might mean to us. They take all that stuff, they put it together with people who are way smarter than I am. They put it in this book, and then I can read it to you and make you think that I'm smart. That's why I have that book. Just kidding. This is out of that book. I want to read this to you. And I would say the author, but it's, it's like a, what do you say, a consortium? Is that what you, I don't know what the word is. Household is the Greek word oikos. Secular ethicist, ethics people, right? Saw the stability state as dependent upon responsible management of the household. Are you catching this? Culture saw that if the culture is going to survive in a city, in a state, it's dependent on the household. The foundation, foundational nature of the institution is further seen in the pattern it provided for the structure and definition of larger political institutions. That's something. What does that tell? That tells me that they understood the importance of the dynamic that happens in family. And if that got degraded and it devolved into something that wasn't the design, that the political system would degrade. The city state would begin to degrade. Isn't that something? Of course, we're not seeing that, right? Lately, I've been spending some time with some people who don't necessarily go to church and probably you, they don't probably even can't even spell church. They don't know anything about it. But you know what? When I have conversations with them, there's been a, I don't know, two or three of them now. Enough to make me go, hey, something's going on here. Two or three of them that have nothing to do with church, but they are talking about the world we live in. Because there's a lot in the news going on, right? There's a lot in I like what Denzel Washington said. He said, if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. But there are all kinds of stuff going around in our world, all kinds of polarization that's going on in the world. And here I am having at separate times conversations with these individuals, and they out of their own mouth are saying this. I think it's because the family broke down. I think because there's no fathers anymore in the house. And I'm like going, bro, flesh and blood did not just reveal that to you, but your father in heaven. <laughs> That's exactly right. Why is this important? Because I feel like the God design for humanity is to place people in families. As a matter of fact, the word says that he sets the solitary in families. I think the entire world, whether they know Jesus or not, whether they're a, quote, Christian or not, there is something that resonates in their heart that knows that family is critically important. And they know when it breaks down that it hurts all the way around. And it hurts people for generation after generation. Thank God. Thank God that Jesus restores regardless of what's happened in the past, right? So I know we have a world running around that feels a lot like orphans. 
And if we don't deal with the orphan spirit and understand that, number one, I am, I am responsible as a believer in Jesus, as someone who makes disciples, to recognize when somebody's walking like an orphan, draw them in and say, don't act like that. That's not who you really are. That's not who you are. Now, I won't go into all that stuff, but orphans have a, you can see it. You can see an orphan spirit on top of people by the way they talk. I think, I really do. If we were to get a hold of this thing, that discipleship is wrapped up in family, I think everything would begin to change, radically begin to change. Oikos is family, but from, but from it, listen to this, multiple words of oikos, multiple variations of this Greek word oikos, right, are built. You want to hear what some of them are? Here's one, resident alien. Has a root word family in it. Resident alien has the root word family in it. Native has the root word family in it. Military colonies has the word family in it. Chief financial officer has the word family in it. Administrator has the word family in it. Are you catching something here? I think it's God's design in all of this stuff to not ever lose the sight that it's about family. Anybody in here a chief financial officer? Good. We got a chief. You know what that is? You're parenting a family because it's a household. Anybody in here an administrator? You know what you're doing? You're parenting a household because family's in that. You can't take that household word outside of that right there. I think Jesus got it. Even when he would speak to the religious leaders, he would speak to his disciples. If you go back and read the gospels, and let me maybe put this as a challenge to you. Start reading the gospel. Start in the book of Matthew. And start reading through the gospel of Matthew. And look how many times Jesus draws conversations back into father, son, family. Over and over and over again. Listen to this passage right here. As I started doing that, things started jumping out to me, and I'd never seen this as much as I've read this passage, and I'd preach series on this passage right here. Matthew 15, one through nine. Then the Pharisees and religious scholars came from Jerusalem and asked Jesus this question. Why do your disciples ignore the tradition of our elders? For example, they don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat bread. Jesus answered, and why do you ignore the commandment of God because your traditions? For didn't God say, honor your father and mother, and whoever abuses or insults his father or mother must be put to death? But you teach that it's permissible to say to your parents when they are in financial need, whatever gift you would have received from me, I can keep it for myself since I have dedicated it as an offering to God. This doesn't honor your father or mother and have, you have elevated your tradition above the words of God. Frauds, hypocrites, Isaiah described you perfectly when he said, these people honor me only with their words for their hearts are so very distant from me. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than empty traditions of men. They're getting called out on washing hands, but what is he doing? He's bringing it back to family. Why didn't he just bring the opposite and say, well, here's what you're doing. When you decided to create this tradition of ceremonial washing of hands, here's why that's unnecessary. It would have kept it in the same place, right? Washing of hands. He doesn't. He brings it back into family. Why did he do that? 
I believe, as I'm reading through this, I believe what's happening is he's showing them, you guys are breaking down. You're breaking down the importance of family. And so you end up with these kinds of traditions because you don't understand what it means to honor your father and mother. Call me reading it into it, I don't know. I think that's why he's coming back to that. Look at what's happened. You create traditions of men and you nullify the word of God. Mm. Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. I'm going to bring this one up again next week on inheritance, but there is something very powerful in this. Malachi, or Malachi, he may have been Italian. Malachi was the last, I'm sorry, that was bad. Okay. Malachi closes out the Old Testament. He's a minor prophet, but he closes out the Old Testament. And in the last phrase of the Old Testament, this is what you hear. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the ungodly. That's Luke 117's version of that. What does that tell you? That in the restoration, in the new covenant, as it's being revealed, this is what he wants. The hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children turn into the fathers. Why? Because discipleship, revelation of the father, revelation of identity doesn't happen outside of that context. Here's another one. John 4, 19. I'm just going to give you these real quick. John 14, 9, sorry. If you've seen me, you've seen the what? Luke 10, 22. All things have been delivered to be by my, and no one knows who the the son is, sorry. No one who knows who the son is except the, and who the father is except the, the son, and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Say that out loud, greater than all. Greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus didn't come on the scene in Bethlehem. Hello? This language of father-son, sometimes we tend to think that, that somehow Jesus came after the father. Jesus was there the entire time. Jesus is the father. The father is Jesus. Guess what? Holy Spirit is Jesus, and Jesus is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is Father, Father, Holy Spirit. It's all one. I still don't understand why we have this, why we see the Trinity, the way we do, while it's unpacked in Scripture like that. There's a reason behind it. I don't know that I fully quite understand that yet. It's absolute mystery to me. Did you guys know the word Trinity is not even in the Bible? But yet that is like one core thing 
about our faith. I believe in the Trinity. I, when Jesus said, I have come to reveal the what? Father. I've come to reveal the Father. He does that by becoming the Son and then saying, I'm drawing you in with me, and guess what? Now you're all children of God. You're part of this with me. Are you feeling this? The importance of this. Listen, church, I'm not preaching a message. I want to steer the ship here. There needs to be an adjustment. I'm not saying because we're doing anything wrong, but there needs to be an adjustment on how we live our lives as disciples. Oh, and let me just mess with you here. Because we've created this thing where disciples is, if I sit here and listen to Andrew and I take it and I go home, maybe take some notes on it and I get goosebumps, then somehow I'm, I'm becoming a disciple. Listen, it is impossible, impossible to be a disciple of Jesus and not be making disciples yourself. That flies in the face of Western discipleship. It, listen, it is impossible to be a disciple of Jesus and not make disciples. Well, Andrew, I'm not ready yet. You were never ready, pal. And you will never be ready. This is called the grace of God. You're going to hear me touch on this over and over, church, because I'm serious. If I were to go to almost anybody in this room and say to them, listen, I would like to take you through 12 weeks of discipleship. If I'm asking that honestly, how many people in here would say, yeah, I'll do that? I'm asking the question. How many would do that? Yeah, I would do that. Okay, half of you. All right. I feel terrible now. But here's those same people. If I were to ask you this, would you take this person over here and take them through a discipleship process? They wouldn't want to do it. Not all of them, but most of them wouldn't want to do it. Why? They feel disqualified. Feel like they're not ready. I have a friend who when he encountered God began to talk to people about his encounter and he was making disciples telling one story. He would quote scripture and put the wrong address on it all the time. All the time. He'd quote it backwards. Say it was in the Old Testament, it was in the New Testament. You know what? He was effective in making disciples. Why? Because he took what he had from God and he began to divest it into other people. This one person, he has this encounter with God that changes his idea of who he is as a person and who God is. He gathers a, gun, a bunch of men together and starts meeting with them on a Monday night and the thing freaking blows up. And it's amazing. Men's lives are getting transformed. And here's a guy who's never been to Bible school. He's an engineer by trade. He's not dumb. He's really smart. He's a mechanical engineer. He, he's not a very good communicator. He's not someone that's real you know, what is the word, uh, gregarious? But I'll tell you what, he starts talking about what God does inside of him, everybody listens. Does anybody in this room have something in your life where God has done something for you miraculous? Let me see your hand. Okay, start making disciples. Start making disciples. You take that right there, and if that's all you have, you run with it. God will show you what you need to know when you need to know it. Start making disciples. That's all I knew when I had my first encounter with God that brought me out of addiction. That's all I knew was to talk about what God had just done. Had just done? 
Did I say that right? Yeah. That's all I could do. I came from a, a family that was in church, and my dad's a biblical scholar, doctorate scholar, but I could not articulate the word of God, but I could articulate my encounter with him. It's why we have such a big value for it in this church, guys. Transformation through encounters with Jesus. You have an encounter with Jesus, your life will get transformed. I guarantee it. You take that encounter and you begin to communicate it. People's lives begin to be changed because of that. Listen, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Here's Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Actually, there was probably a, actually a 3 Corinthians that got wrapped into this. I just discovered this not too terribly long ago, but it's very interesting that, that there was probably three letters that got wrapped into two. But the whole point is, here's Paul writing to the church who has encountered God, but he's having to clean him up a little bit. Anybody here say, I need to be cleaned up a little bit? Yep. Absolutely holy, but I need to be cleaned up a bit, right? Oh, and by the way, you can't do that. You can't do that. So don't get your focus on trying to clean yourself up. You'll never be able to do it. You never were able to do it. You're still not able to do it. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16 says this. I'm not writing this to embarrass you or to shame you, but to correct you as children I love. For although you can have countless babysitters, that word also could be translated guardians or tutors. You have countless babysitters, guardians or tutors. New King James Version says teachers. You have countless in Christ, I'm sorry, in Christ telling you what you're doing wrong. You don't have many fathers who correct you in love. But I'm a true father to you. God, do you hear that? I feel that when I read it. Paul was not somebody who had a ministry. He wasn't this itinerant minister who just went to different places, preaching the gospel, impressing people. Had the power of God on him. We even know he wasn't a good speaker. We know that. He says that. I didn't come to you with persuasive words of man's wisdom, with eloquence of speech, but I came to you with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but would be in the power of God. But how, do you, how many of you know that? We can even get involved in itinerant ministry stuff, operate in power, impress people, and not be a father, and not be a mother. Why? Because the power of God will show up in you despite your character, not because of it. That's how much God loves people. Just because God moves through you, gives you revelation, and gives you the ability to operate in phenomenal cosmic power doesn't mean he approves of everything in your life. He's just saying, I love these people so much, I'm going to flow through you. Now, I take that knowing how messed up I am on the inside. I can take that and I can go... All right, that helps me to learn how to love. That helps me to see people as family because if the father sees them as an individual in the family, then, oh my gosh, I need to see them as an individual in the family. That's a good word, Andrew. <laughs> he goes on to say, I'm gonna wrap this up. There's more, but I'm not gonna go. I'll save it for tomorrow. You guys okay with that? Yes, it's 12.15, I need to wrap this up. Paul even says at one point, imitate me as I imitate the father. 
Imitate me as I imitate the Father. I just brought this up, I think, a week or two ago. That word imitate is the word mimitis. It's where we get the word mime. He's literally telling them, do exactly what I do. Do exactly what I do. Imitate me as I imitate the Father. Why is he saying that? Because he's speaking to a group of orphans. And he's saying to them, if you will begin to operate like me and do exactly what I do, even if you don't understand it, in your doing it, the understanding will come. Hello? This is discipleship. I'm like that. When I have to train people or teach people something, and if you're part of this worship team, you've experienced that. There's no such thing as preparation. You get up here and you go. You get thrown into the deep end of the pool. That's how I learned how to swim, literally. South Texas. Ranching community. Stock tanks that held water so they could water the cattle in this dry, dusty area. Somebody picks me up and throws me in one. They were big. They were almost the size of this room and probably about this deep. Somebody picks me up and throws me over the wall into one of those things. Guess what? I learned how to swim really quick. My life is like that. Sorry, if you're part of this thing right here, you're going to experience it too. You get thrown into the deep end. I believe this is where it's at though. People learn when we begin to operate in what God has called us to do. Imitate me as I imitate the Father. Everybody stand up in the room. I'm going to pray that the Father right now, Father God, would break every misconception we have in our hearts and minds concerning kingdom family. The kingdom family is not something that only exists on a Sunday. Kingdom family is not something that exists in a small group. Kingdom family is something that shares life. Kingdom family is made up of a group of people who make room for life. Father, right now, everything inside of us that sees the kingdom inappropriate, Father, I pray you just give us revelation, give us breakthrough, give us insight into it. Every religious affectation and norm that has held the church back, right now, break that down and bring us into a new way of making disciples and being kingdom family and households together. Household. I want to be a part of this household, this family. And I want to see it expand. Anybody else want to see it expand? Anybody else want to see orphans find family? Anybody in here want to see the orphans that are in the family that still think they're orphans get the orphan spirit broken off of them so they can act like family? Yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Church, I really do believe that. Even right now as I'm saying this, I feel like something just went boom and flipped. Pay attention to it. This isn't just a message I'm trying to speak this morning. I'm saying something is shifting. Get your antenna up. Pay attention. I believe God will begin to use people in this room who think that they're actually unusable because of this shift. It's starting to happen right now. Can we just say yes to it? Yes to it. Oh, I pray the grace of God and the wisdom of God and the favor of God be all over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the Lord bless you. Don't miss next week because it's going to blow your mind. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.